Hey, this is Cleveland Brown, and you're listening to the About Last Night podcast. I guess your TV must be broken. Ha <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, I'm not kidding. You're bored. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to chat about it. Got a midget and a Jew, so why don't you sit down and listen to a dope podcast during lunch, dinner, or breakfast. Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of the day. So come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. Jeff. How are you, bud? Hey, bud. Thanks for doing this. Are you kidding? Thank you. Um, well, uh, first of all, I want to know, uh, how does, um, this is the day before Thanksgiving. Are you in shutdown mode, like most of the business, or are you, uh, are you, are you working tonight? Or are you, how does, how does Jeff Ross celebrate the holidays? Because I know you're a big family guy. Are you cooking? I, I got my cousin Ed here cooking. Nice. His, his his family's coming. My sister and her family are coming from uh, Seattle. Where Seattle I'm from. For the weekend. Hell yeah. Yep. And uh, tonight, I always try to go on stage, so I'm going to hit the improv in the comedy store to warm up for the weekend. I love these holiday crowds, so. They are good. It does seem like people are, I mean, look, I feel like uh, people that come to a comedy club in general are always in a, a good mood. and They're coming, they're actively trying to escape from something or just to you know, lighten, uh, their life. But I feel like during the holidays, especially, right. I I feel like most people try to really just soak, soak up all the, the hopeful, uh, spirit that, that can be around you. Right. It's gotta be, uh, it's got, it's a good time to recharge, watch the movies you never would have watched just because there's kids around, Yeah, you know, get in touch with your former self your early (laughs) self, your childhood self. Are the Hanukkah crowds better than the, the, than the Kwanzaa crowds? (laughs) <laughs> uh you know i like to mix hanukkah and kwanzaa crowds together in a one <laughs> well, you've always been that way yeah um what uh do you you seem to me like the almost like the glue to your family is that safe to say like i feel like when i see you post pictures and stuff like you're just so like i mean you're such a kind loving dude off stage but i when i and and I feel fortunate enough to have observed that and gotten to, to, you know, see that firsthand. And then when I see these videos and pictures with your family, it just seems like it seems like because you're so uh, such fun spirit and like jokey that sometimes I see people in videos that maybe normally wouldn't be like they're almost people are stepping out of their shell because you make it so comfortable. You mean as far as my relatives? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like people who would never want their picture on the Internet. They're like. <laughs> happy to pose with me yeah like you were doing a uh, you were doing a boomerang of somebody on some beach and I, I definitely somebody who didn't know what a boomerang was and it was really entertaining that's my thing everybody should try it tag me <laughs> tell your friend or your relative say hey boomerang and they'll move around like they're gonna be in a boomerang on instagram but you don't hit boomerang so you just see them flailing their arms like they're in a spider web it's almost like so the way when fun it's almost like when people get caught off guard and they get put on the jumbotron at a sporting game. They don't know what to do, so they just flop and flail. So they kiss a stranger and get sued for sexual harassment. Yeah, and get herpes. I guess so. Um, what? Uh, all right. Well, I, I want to obviously talk about your um, your special, which was fucking. 
I don't think you could top the uh, the prison one and the uh, the Boston cops, but like, oh, thanks. dude, it's it's really. I mean, look, I'm I'm such a big fan of um, people that take our our business and our art form to like other levels and and try to find other ways to just use comedy for for a bigger. Um, I don't know, bigger purpose or just a b- exposure and, and, and putting it in places that you just wouldn't think of. And I don't know if that's always been how you are. And I feel like it is because of just the nature of your comedy and, and all the things. It and wasn't always. No, you weren't always like this. You weren't always thinking outside the box like this. I mean, I just didn't know. Any, I just didn't know anything. You know, I was just trying to learn how to comedy was itself a cause, you know, it seemed like a calling. So I was just learning how to do that. And it's kind of like, it reminds me of film school. You know, when I got to film school in college, I was like, why do I have to take math and astronomy and Spanish? Then I realized you can't make films about making films. You have to make films about math and astronomy and Spanish or whatever. So same goes for comedy. You know, once you learn how to do it, you got to kind of do it about other stuff. I don't want to. I'm not going to make, you know, we've all seen com- documentaries about comedy and comics have deconstructed and that's fine when you're starting out. But at a certain point, you want it to be about something just to keep myself interested. And then, like you say, if it has a purpose, that's even better. Yeah. What what got you into comedy when you first started? And that was back in Jersey, yeah? No. Uh, no. I mean, I guess so, yeah. I was already out of college a couple of years when I even figured out what stand-up was. I didn't know. I didn't know a lot about it. Were, thought, were you yeah. a, were you a funny kid? I, I like. I'm always curious with people that are so good at, at roasting, and, and obviously you're the the master of it. But like, were you uh, like I asked Tony Hinchcliffe this? I was like, were you like a slinger on the playground? Like, and he's like, yeah. He's like, I get picked on, and that's how I would fight back. And then I I started to kind of you know see that I had that skill set. But like, how, how did how did you first of all just find you were funny as a kid and. I think I made my mom laugh. Yeah. My dad was funny, and I could see him make her laugh. And I think I just made my mom laugh, and that was sort of encouraging. And she was sick a lot. She had leukemia. So the idea of making her laugh when she needed it was something I didn't realize I was even doing until I looked back. And some of my memories of my first laughs were because she was in the hospital or you know, she'd gotten a bad diagnosis, and I would do something to crack her up or you know something silly to embarrass her or something and she'd laugh that's amazing would you do like so an- I think that yeah I think those were the early memories of like oh you know and then it wasn't until I went to college in Boston Boston University that I even realized that I was funny that that not everybody's like that I thought everybody was like that because my universe was so small growing up I grew up in a catering hall where my dad worked and his family owned and there were people from all walks of life and nervous brides and annoying mother-in-laws <laughs> and, and you know the russian salad maker and the irish waitresses so everything was ethnic humor and tension and parties and and i i love that and i think a big part of that was just being the boss's son and learning how to bust balls back when people busted my balls would they? Uh, would you do like impressions and voices? Like, how are you making your mom laugh and stuff? Oh uh, no, I would just crack jokes the same way I would right now. Yeah. Like if you if you were dying of leukemia, I'd be trying to make you laugh <laughs> instead of just talking about whatever. Uh, 
what uh and when, when did you i mean i know you know your stand-up became a, a part of your world when when you got to college yeah no i didn't even really understand stand-up then i was in punk rock and i was a music director and a dj on my college radio station what and we were being funny but we didn't know we were being funny i, I didn't the only comics I really under, I knew were like the rock star comics, like Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy and the Blues Brothers. And right. They were just sort of larger than life. I, I didn't know that just a regular dude could just walk on stage in jeans and a T-shirt, and I, I didn't understand any of that. So you thought you were confined to maybe a light, like if, if anything you were going to do comedically, it was going to have to be, like the radio DJ world was maybe as, as, as high as it was going to get? And I already kind of, you know, exhausted that in college. By yeah. the time I graduated, I tried to get a couple of jobs working at radio stations in Boston at WBCN and WFNX. And I was already working in public radio as an engineer at WBUR in Boston, NPR, you know, uh, public radio affiliate. And I would like, you know, I, I would be a board operator or I'd record classic music concerts <laughs> uh, you know i just wanted to be i loved radio yeah and and uh i didn't even understand that comedy was a field it was just something you did you know you, i didn't even I, I didn't i would listen to a kiss record and an eddie murphy record or a steve martin record and a led zeppelin record and i wouldn't even understand that there was a difference wow it, you know, and i'd listen to the blues brothers it was like it was just funny music or good music yeah. or you know I it, it, it didn't even occur to me that one was any different than the other it wasn't until way after college where, where were you my, my yeah. buddy Mark Chapin um, who I just saw all weekend in Boston he was doing open mics in New York and had taken a comedy class taught by Lee Frank who's still a writer in LA funny guy and he taught this class in New York, and I, I took to it right away. I just loved it. Was there... It was, like a, it was like writing on my notebook as a kid. You know how you yeah. just draw, like, swastikers and write whatever awful <laughs> words you could write. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, that's what stand-up is. You could just push it. I was like, I'm, I can't believe I'm lucky enough to live in a country where you could say whatever you want. There, there was a... In, in second grade, I used to... We had this computer class where we could, like, one of the things on this kid program was to make fake money, and you could put... You're supposed to put your name on the money and then print it up and take it home. And I instead of putting my name, I put, like, poop and shit and fart head and stuff. And kids would laugh, and I got kicked out of class for it, but I was like, you know, like, this is... this is I'm thinking outside the box. You're just kicking me out because you're jealous because you didn't think of it. It's a good feeling when you get, <laughs> when you get those really laughs, man. It's like a drug. Did you uh, did you get those uh, laughs in school and stuff before your radio DJ days, like with your friends? You know, I think about that, and I look back, and I, I could see that I was funny or trying to be funny, but I really always felt like my friends were the funny ones. I feel that and exact I same way. Imitating them. Yeah. I think I got it. I think Steve Martin once said, you know, being a comedian is not revealing your sources. <laughs> Shit, yeah. I think, you know? yeah. I mean, I feel like every uh, every person in this world got encouraged by by people around them that were good, uh, you know, yes man that kind of you know laughed at everything you did and encouraged you a little bit, but also like fed it back to you to at least like give you, you know, so it made you laugh too, right? And at least encouraged the the beast. I think so. You know, you don't even know what's happening. 
you know, uh, am I a comedian because I grew up around funny people or, or am I a comedian because, you know, I don't know, I experienced loss as a young man. Am I a comedian because, uh, I didn't get that radio job. Am I a comedian because Mark Chapin should take the stand-up comedy class? Right. You know, it's sort of a, sometimes it's, it's none of those reasons or it's all of those reasons. And, you know, it's just sort of taking these happy accidents, taking these accidents and making them happy accidents, and taking bad times and finding a silver lining and taking sadness and making a joke out of it. And then you realize one day, oh, that's currency. That's an actual field I could go into. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the first time you went on stage and how that felt? I'm always curious oh, with yeah, people man. that are it's such... The greatest. Yeah. It's like the you, greatest. I don't know if you remember your first joke, but I'm even just like... I, for me, I, and I, I feel like this is probably with most comics, once you get deep enough into it that, you know, you just... Like, I remember even the drive to the club and, like, my friends that were there and, like, how they announced me. It just is so... What was that for you? Um... It was, I think it was April Fool's Day or March 31st after midnight, 1989, at the ye old Triple N, on 54th f- Street. Is that a hotel? Across from a studio, no, it was a, Comedy uh, Club. Uh, it was a, no, it was a bar. Oh shit. I guess. And, uh, and they had a, a little stage and an open mic and it wasn't a comedy open mic, it was anybody who signed up. So I think I followed a bongo player or something. <laughs> and I was really, really nervous. I mean, like, like almost sick. And uh, I may have done a shot. I can't remember that very first time, just so I could get up there. Yeah. Because I'd already taken this class for 10 weeks. And so now it was like, okay, the class is just about over. I really loved it. Now let me try it, not in front of the class, but in front of strangers. And and it was a real euphoria. I mean, I loved it. I talked about the catering business and told some stories because I thought that would be my style as a storyteller. And the stories didn't really go anywhere. And and But I didn't lose the audience. It was only a few minutes. Yeah. But I remember the, it was Fleet Week and these baby guys were in the front and I think they either heckled me or made a joke and I made a joke back about them what if they get mustard on their uniforms or wearing <laughs> white uniforms I kind of vaguely remember something like that and I kind of got through it and the biggest laugh I got was off like me getting interrupted yeah and then I came off stage and was sort of feeling unsure or I don't know what I felt exactly but I remember some woman, a young woman, probably my age, I was 23, said, hey, that was good, or nice job, or you were funny, or just acknowledged me in some way. And I immediately realized that this was more than just getting laughs, that this could be a whole way into life <laughs> that oh, I didn't shit. understand before. You know, I could meet people, and I could I could have a, also have a platform for self-expression and and it was just everything. What? First Amendment, it was just a high. What's more nerve-wracking, the first time you do stand-up, roasting Ann Coulter, or being on Dancing with the Stars? Oh, boy. Man. <laughs> That's a holiday uh, trifecta most, of... Roasting Ann Coulter was not, was not scary at all, not nerve-wracking. As a matter of fact, it was 
the opposite driving a race car was yeah total thrill ride uh dancing with the stars that however was very nerve-wracking why i wanted to do was work on my moves i remember chris rock calling me up in the trailer this was a long time ago it might have been 10 years ago and uh he goes, stop worrying about your dancing and start writing some jokes. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't have been more right. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, well, so, I mean, look, you've done so much, and it's, I don't, I'm always curious with people that are as uh, crazy successful in you and have just, like, I mean, you know, Stern, The View, CSI, like, the so many roasts, so many TV shows, like, so many late-night appearances. I'm, I'm always so curious, like, does it all, does it blur together at some point or do you really, you, you seem like a guy that's very actively present and like always, you know, in a couch interview or a radio interview or even Dancing with the Stars where you're just like, you're locked into that. But I'm, I'm curious where you're getting to do so much cool shit. Do you just kind of do it and then move on to the next thing or do you, do you sit and reflect or do you like think about an experience that you could pull material from or? I really, I'm really only good at one thing at a time. I'm not a great multitasker. But I can I can prepare relatively quickly, and yeah, I mean you got to be present. You know, so much of what I do, and you know, stand up in general. You know this. It's from it's about being in the moment and listening, and and, and especially like speed roasting and the kind of shit that I do. You you really got to be in it. You can't be distracted. So um, I'll do it. Then I move on quickly. I don't reflect back about it too much unless I really fuck something up, right. which is rarely. And then, um, and, then, uh, and then I go on to the next thing. And it's hard to say no. You wait so long to get gigs that it's hard to say no once they start coming in. Right. But you like, but you still love it. I mean, it's, I see you traveling around. It seems like, oh, like yeah, when man, you, I love it. when you were just in, um, with Chris Rock in, I mean, you, you guys did a whole, it was like what, Denmark, Sweden. Um, right. You guys did Norway, a whole, yeah. Belgium. Ireland. I just look like the most epic. I mean, again, you've done a lot of cool shit, but that was like we're that. about to go to we're about to go to Tel Aviv and other places. Oh my god! What is it? What is that like? Versus, I mean, you know, you came up in the comedy clubs, but to do that, is it is it overwhelming? Is it still really cool? Is it? It's the coolest, dude. Yeah. It's like you know, every day is a new adventure. You know, the long, the later I sleep more messages I have when I wake up and I'm like let's see what adventure awaits yeah hey can I do a it's so fun you're like I'm about to go to Tel Aviv but let me just do a quick podcast with Adam Ray let me do a podcast <laughs> in the hot tub on Thanksgiving are you in the hot tub right now it got me out of going shopping with my cousin for oh. Thanksgiving food so dude you're welcome you. yeah God, hey, man, it's a gift that keeps on giving Plus, I want people to see my special I'm yeah like, dude you were like you were like talking about it. I was like, all right, I'm going to do everything I can. And this is a good time to do my friend's podcast because I have something to actually talk about where half the time I'm like, I feel like, uh, you know, I don't know. Well, I do want to talk about it because it's, again, first of all, I just want to ask you um, how, because people know you from like the Trump, Bieber, Hasselhoff, I mean, Pam Anderson, like all those roasts of, of the last 10 years. But like, you know, they don't know. I don't know how many people know, like, you know, doing all those old fryer roasts of Emmett Smith and like Rob Reiner. And I'm curious, like in your eyes, like your Jerry Stiller roast was almost 20 years ago. How has how has roasting changed since then? Um, it's more popular. Yeah. Roasts 
Ghosts were always well known, but you couldn't see them unless you were part of the Friars Club or something. So it's more popular than ever, and that's so fun, man. Having it, having it at like rock star level when you come out and do these roasts, the audience wants blood. And I think they were always entertaining, but I think the way they are now is just—it's almost like a like hockey or rollerball or something. Is it still the same high when you go out on stage for them? Um, or like, I guess you said it's I'm just higher. I think the, I think the high is higher now. Yeah. Cause I'm better at it. And when you're, when you're hitting homers instead of doubles, there's a big high. Yeah. You know? Um, where did the, so Jeff Ross roast the border, which is available on, uh, comedy central came out the 16th. I mean, dude, it's, I mean, I told you, uh, when I saw you at the store the other night, it, it's just like the prison one to me was like. Man, I, I almost got like choked up watching it because it was so, um, again, I just, people that take comedy and really, and it's, you know, again, like you mentioned, you doing it um, uh, for your your mom back in the day when she was sick. It's like, I, I feel like you have this deeper need to try to to use it for, for healing and for good and not just for, um, you know, for a, a short set on the middle of the week. And when you roast these prisoners, it's like, I was so blown away at how much time you took to like, get to know some of their stories and and you see in these guys eyes like them seeing some of them and, and, and acknowledging that they fucked up and that they wanted a second chance and and some of them maybe didn't and we're still very much just hurt at, at what happened and we're almost sticking to their guns about like yeah you know I did what I did and I'm here and, and whatever happens if I get out and and just to see you know there's so many walks of life that you never get an insight into and so a you gave us that and then and then you, you gave these guys like something to be really happy about and to almost forget where they were for a few hours. And I don't know, man, it's nobody else is doing anything like that. And it's um, let's keep it that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm about to I'm a, I'm about to roast an orphanage next week. So you better shoot one before I do. I want to I want to produce for credit. <laughs> everybody, everybody always says, oh, you're really breaking ground. And I'm like, fuck that. I don't want anybody doing this. Shit. Yeah. Is that kind of how you feel? I mean, what, what, first of all, with the prison one, where did you even get the idea to do that? Was it hanging or was, cause now you've, now you've, with that one in the Boston cops and now Jeff Ross roast the border, it seems like, I, I mean, I feel like you're not going to stop with, with trying to find other walks of life and, and other scenarios and situations that we don't get an insight into and, and shining some light on them. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think would be good at them? What's next? Dude. I mean like fast food employees, um, Fucking, uh, I mean, there's probably someone with no voice. Somebody who has no voice, you know, <laughs> the immigrants, the prisoners, senior citizen bingo halls. Um, I like that. I like that. I mean, yeah, I don't know, paraplegic. Yeah, I mean, uh, strippers. Um, I guess it's got to be. Well, I mean, is there an angle when you think of it? Is there? Is it like how do you? How does the idea have to come to you? Does it have to be a, a something that's genuinely, obviously, interesting to you? But like, where did the prison one come from? It came from wanting to do something cool, you know? Yeah. Wait, hold on a second. Plane's going over. Hold on. Plane's going over my hot tub. <laughs> I try to move to a quieter place, but this is like a reality show meets a podcast. You got to get the natural sound of uh, the hills. Do you got a drink in the hot tub or are you just chilling with hot tub toys? I spilt it. Oh, shit. I know. 
Well, you're in the true holiday spirit. All right, so ro- roast the border. What, let, tell me where you got the idea for that, and did it stem from the other two? Was it like trying to top the last ones, or what? It wasn't trying to top them. It was just trying to do something the same but different. You know, I try to put my immerse myself in an environment that I that I'm curious about, and you know, part of it is Trump, and part of it is um, the reaction to Trump. I go, well. There's all these changing immigration policies happening right now with the Muslim ban and yeah. build the wall and stuff that I think average Americans didn't really understand or care about, me included, suddenly became something everyone was talking about. And I thought, well, everyone has an opinion, but whose opinion is going to be the most interesting? And to me, it was the people who actually live along the border. So that's what the impetus was to go to where the action is right at the tip of Texas. I shot the whole show over a week uh, in Brownsville, Texas, along the border fence uh, in the Rio Grande Valley. So half the community is in Mexico and half is in Texas. That wall, uh, the border wall looked massive. Had you ever, I mean, did you even, is it one of those, is it like the Playboy Mansion? You don't know what it's like until you see it live? <laughs> you know, it's breathtaking because it is beautiful. There's a, people don't realize there's an existing fence that goes through much of the border and this town Brownsville, it goes right through it and it goes right through people's yards. It goes through public parks. Um, it's sort of surreal. Um, and drugs come over and people come over and pregnant women come over and, and, and it's nonstop all hours of the day, you know, uh, sometimes hundreds and sometimes thousands a month. So it's not casual. It's a big, business essentially i even talked to one of the coyotes they call them human traffickers who 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 sneak people across i talked to the local park rangers or constables who are the first people to find these individuals as they come over the river or the fence so and and then you go to a diner and everybody's kind of eating tacos in the same room as if they're all friends you know it's really a, a strange cool and i learned a lot well that's what i love about it too man is that you you go out of your way to like you're educating yourself but you're doing it through uh, you're you're helping everybody else i had no idea that the coyote the term coyote was a thing and that you know i I assume there was that type of job i guess but to actually you interview one and he was you know wearing a a bandana around his face i guess to not show who he was is that was that the i mean these guys are crooked He's essentially kidnaps people. He's yeah. Actually, he's a human trafficker. So he hid his identity. And, you know, it, it, it seems like maybe he's doing a good thing for a second because he's bringing people to their American dream. Uh, but in essence, he's really exploiting people who have no other options. And in some cases, it can be dangerous and violent and, and, and he could be kidnapping. How much prep do you have to do for something like that? You said you spent a week down there. Do you do you really try to do you talk to people beforehand, or do you, do you like to almost go in blind so that you can learn as much on the spot and be as uh, not ignorant, but just as uh, as open to and more curious than you would be if you knew a lot going down? Um, both. Yeah. Honestly, I did months and months of research, conversations with um, immigration experts, immigrants. Whoever would talk to me, I, I talked to people from uh, WOLA, W-O-L-A, in Washington, D.C. They're a 
human rights advocacy group. Um, uh, I did everything I could to at least have a general understanding of the situation so that I, w- I went in. I didn't have to ask what certain words meant, what concepts were, you know, I understood the basics and then I could ask uh, more specific questions. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm an expert, but I definitely tried to um, understand it from every angle, not just, uh, 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 you know, a Republican or Democrat, really from a, uh, from a from human a standpoint, human, the human yeah. standpoint, yeah. you know, I always say it's not politics, it's about the people. How much did they, I mean, that situation down there, how much are they paying attention to what's going on up here with us? And, and That's the cool thing, too. They, they, we're, all, we're all one big country, but they're way more informed than we are, generally speaking. Oh, really? You know, everybody down there has an opinion about immigration. Everybody down there has an opinion about the president. It's fascinating. And they're really well informed too, you know. And and even if though they voted, voted may have voted for Trump, that doesn't mean they want a wall, you know. Yeah. They're not, they're not led blindly. And I thought that was interesting. Yeah. When I go to Denny's and I order the Grand Slam, it doesn't mean I want the pubes on it, you know. That just ended up that way. <laughs> just me. All right. Exactly. Um, uh, you you got like three more minutes, and you good? Of course. Not. Okay, you're the best. Um, setting up the sh- the show again. I mean, it's like. You have for people that that haven't seen it yet and that have to. I mean, the brilliant balance you have of of um, the human aspect and the and the storytelling that you're doing, and then you're giving these people the show. Like, can you do you do you leave the show for last so that you can kind of do all the the grunt work before and then have something to look forward to? Do you do that first? Where's the show in your week of uh, shooting? At the end. Okay. So that so that the people and the experiences I had. I can talk about in front of the bigger audience on stage. So I really, I really do that the very last day that I'm there. And it was outdoors, which I know you've done a lot of like the oddball tours and probably just a lot of, you know, festivals and, um, I don't know, kids' birthday parties. I know you're big with, uh, but like, how do you, it, it seemed like it was a good setup, but I mean, is there, is there still a challenge with the outdoor element? Like how do you, or is a stage a stage to you at this point? It was hard. Yeah, because it was a hundred degrees out. Oh shit! And and you know I'm dehydrated. I'm drinking too much coffee and Red Bull. I'm nervous, and and you know it, there's no there's no fences. There's no security in in a, in a regular way. There's no tickets. It's all free. So you know there's babies screaming. There's dogs barking. There's border patrol whizzing by. Jesus, are you serious? I mean, that's, uh, yeah, we did a good job of uh, like drowning it out, but I mean, like people, so. I had to cut out, I had to cut out a lot of the stand up because I was flubbing jokes and getting interrupted and it, it was hard. It was hard. Well, it came off flawless. Yeah, luckily, thanks. And you know, I leave some of the, some of the weird moments in there. I yeah. I to seem real always. So, of course. you know, there's that, but it was a challenge, man. I remember like when I was editing, it took me five months to edit. And I was uh, walking into the Comedy Central building, and I saw Jim Norton, the comedian Jim Norton, and he was asking me what I was doing, and I told him about it. He goes, I saw you working on that material for months, that immigration material. He goes, you did it, like, not in a controlled environment of a theater. You did it outside in a public park. He wanted to strangle me, but I wouldn't honor, honor my jokes in a more 
um, secure setting. <laughs> I was like, I wanted it to not be about the jokes. I wanted it to be about the context of the jokes. And yeah. He thought I was nuts. Well, it was, um, it was really, uh, it, it came off really well. And it seemed like, I mean, when they cut to the, you know, audience reaction as you do in a, in a stand-up special, like, man, it, it seemed like, I don't know how it felt for you, but it seemed like they were having a great time and pretty pumped that that was, it seemed like a very unique experience for them, you know? Like, how many people were doing shows down there for them, let alone in that environment? No one, no one ever. And especially in free shows, there's no comedy club there. Right. It really is in a middle of nowhere kind of feel. So I expected maybe 50 or 100 people to show up, but it seems like 800 or 100 or 1,000 people showed up because I, I do think they were curious, and I, and I do think... On some level, um, everyone has someone in their life that's directly affected by the immigration issue. So people came out, man. Did you ever find? Do you ever find when you're um, uh, when you're roasting somebody? Because some of these some of these jokes, by the way, man, I've watched you for a long time, and I gotta say, it's really inspiring to see somebody at the top of their game and then get better and 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 get get funnier, like. You've always been so great to me, man. But like, I was some of these jokes. I was just like, God, you know, like it, it's you know, you, I didn't think there was another level to go to, and you do. So it's and it's for somebody that's you know ten years in and and obviously just always trying to push myself on every uh, front. It's uh, you know, I, I know you're not doing it actively, but like you're you're a good example for comics. Thanks, bud. That's yeah. really nice. Um, but you I, know, I'll I'm go ahead. To just be good, you know. It's all about. I want to write good jokes. Uh, you know, I get lazy just like everybody else. Of course. You know, you want to do a cheap laugh just to get started, but inevitably I'm going to cut that one out or get rid of it and go for the smarter jokes because every second counts on a show like that. You know, you want you don't want to lose the audience. I don't want to make a, a point that I don't believe in. You know, it's tricky. So I do, I do meditate on the jokes and I do stress about it. And I work, that's the hardest part is writing the act. Then maybe the second part is editing it all into something cohesive that people, you know, the act isn't necessarily the same as the TV show, you know? Right. Do you, do you ever, when you're roasting somebody, uh, do, do you ever get, uh, does your heart get in the way? Because you're such a kind dude and <laughs> you, you have such a good balance on stage when you roast people and then you, you even, you can see when you feel it might be too much, you you pepper back in some uh, some nice comments or, or something just to almost transition to the next person just to, and then sometimes you don't sometimes you, you slam them and, and then and it's such and you can see you're just gonna read in the room it's like you can see that the person can take what you said and they they laughed at it genuinely so then you don't need to kind of buffer it with some sort of um, you know softer statement but do you ever does your heart ever get in the way when you say something and you go or, or you want to say something and you go fuck this is that's that's too mean no. <laughs> never never oh my yeah i guess yeah well, you know what? once in a while and it won't be in the moment when i'm there i usually go for it but if, if it's a, if it's something spontaneous yeah but if i'm premeditating it chances are i i am i will get a little more squeamish i'm like you know i'm more calculating than people might think i'm sure you've you been know? i'm sure you've been asked this all the time is the last thing i want to ask you but like with the, you know, thousands of people you've roasted, like not only that we've gotten to see on TV and, and at comedy clubs, but, you know, all the, the private events that you get to do. I'm sure there's been some insane people that we don't even know about you've gotten to roast. But has there ever been somebody that 
you did a joke that a, a two part question a that you were you felt like you know make a wish bucket list type shit where you're like I can't believe I'm getting to roast this person and they don't get to say anything back and B where you did it and it was they they came up to you afterwards and maybe or you heard that it bugged them or or um or they just you know couldn't have a sense of humor about it just been one or two occasions where people got mad and I've like outed these people before so yeah, okay. I let them off the hook since right. Thanksgiving yeah. yeah it's okay and you're in a hot tub who wants to be angry in a hot tub you know, and, you know, so, and, and these are people that, you know, you got to be able to take a joke in life. It really is sad when people get offended. You know, I'm at this point offended by people who are constantly getting offended. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's like, chill the fuck out. Man. I know, dude. Life's too short. Like, even if you are offended, like, keep that shit to yourself. It's not a good look. No, <laughs> you're always a bummer. If when you, when you verbally uh, out yourself for being offended, you, you, no one ever goes, hell yeah, man, dude, I love how honest and shitty you are. Come to my party. Now, if somebody tells me they're hurt, that's a little different. Than of course, offended. of course. You know, if you're hurt, Big I difference. might apologize. I might say I'm really sorry if I hurt your feelings. It's not my intention. You know, I'm trying to make everybody laugh or, you know, uh, and, and that doesn't happen often because I think I'm pretty good at just roasting volunteers who are kind of begging for it. In my live shows, I'll bring up people that be speed roasted and, and you know, obviously the Comedy Central celebrity roast, they're all volunteers. That, so I don't hold back at those things too much. What about the situation? Did you have to apologize to him? He seemed kind of hurt. He should have apologized to the world for his performance. <laughs> I feel like, I mean... I should apologize for booking the guy on the fucking show. <laughs> he still thinks he killed. He's walking around right now telling a story about how he once killed roasting uh, Donald Trump. No way. God, that's I'm so... Sure. No, he came to the after party, and I remember him telling, like, John Stamos, maybe John Hamm, some of my friends were at the Trump after party in New York. I remember the situation. Um, walking around, telling everybody would listen like i was out of my comfort zone dog but i hung in there i did my thing <laughs> I, was like, what? I had to like come up there and like pull you off stage yeah dude that was amazing when you did that i mean that was like that was a highlight for sure um well dude i, I can't thank you enough for for doing this it's um this you know fun. you're one of my faves and and uh to make time uh i mean you're in a hot tub and you know it's I don't know how many people get to talk to one of their favorites in a hot tub before There's Thanksgiving. There's people in here with me. They were nice enough to be quiet <laughs> while you, I did this. Are you serious? No, I'm just <laughs> Girls, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, girls. <laughs> Take a break. All right, put that back on. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> uh, dude, I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And, uh, I mean, not now. Not now. I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> What'd you say? You're, uh, <laughs> I said, uh, thanks for doing this. And... Uh, have a great Thanksgiving. And uh, special is, I mean, people can get it on ComedyCentral.com on demand, right? It's on, it's on ComedyCentral.com. It's on um, on demand and it's on iTunes. Oh, great. And it's called Jeff Ross Roast the Border, live from Brownsville, Texas. Fun for the whole family. It really is. Thanksgiving viewing. And at Real Jeff, uh, Jeffrey Ross on all social media, yeah? Yeah, hit me up. Tell me how you like it. Adam, thanks for having me on your on your show, dude. I really appreciate it, man. This was fun. Was it all right? It wasn't too like a uh, pressy an interview, was it? I, feel, I try to keep it. It's great, yeah. dude. All right. It's great. Uh, thanks for for knowing so much about the roast and stuff. Fuck yeah, dude. Um, 
Well, shit. I hope to see you soon. Maybe smoke some weed in your hot tub sometime. I see all these pictures Anytime, of your parties bud. online. I got to make my way up there sometime. Come on over, bud. You're 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 on the list. We have a. I feel like once uh once you once I met your uh your friend Kevin uh, uh which was I mean really quickly tell me he's kind of your partner in crime in roasting yeah. Kevin Skeeny. Yeah. Oh, you did the roast with him in Boston. Yeah, I did the big poppy roast in Boston. That was my first. And when you came up to me and told me I heard you kill, that was, dude, that was like a, you know, that's a fucking cross that off the bucket list. Like, that was something completely out of my zone, but I had to do it in character, so I felt comfortable. And and Kevin is such a pro. And when he told me he was your guy, I was like, oh, that makes sense, dude, because he was so over-the-top good, you know? Yeah, that's great. No, I'm glad that you guys did that together. You were funny on there. You've been working with him for a long time? Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the best joke writers around. Fuck yeah! All right, man. Well, uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving and your holidays, and uh, and I'll see you. In, I'll see you in 2018. Actually, I'll, I'll probably see, see you before then. I'll see you before then, bud. Okay, I'll thanks, Jeffy. Night somewhere later, bud. Yeah, sounds good. Bye, Jeffy. Well, the great Jeff Ross, pretty fucking cool. You know what I'm saying? Been a fan of that guy for so long, and it's one of those one of those things in comedy where you. Uh, you get to, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this 10 years and you just, you, you, you grind so much to, to get into all these clubs and to be in situations where you're on shows that are stacked and where you hope you feel like you're on the, you know, deserving to be in these lineups and, and uh, you know, to be on lineups with Jeff and, and follow him and him go before me and, and, uh, and then obviously to have, you know, uh, to do a, a, a roast of, uh, you know, big magnitude with his right-hand man, uh, working with him to, to prep my jokes for that. Pretty special, man. Definitely not lost on me. And, and I've been wanting to, to get Jeff on the podcast for a long time. So um, pretty sweet that he made time. <laughs> and he was in a hot tub while he did it. It's the fucking, that's the good life. Um, all right, well, check out his special, Jeff Ross, Roast the Border. You heard it. It's on Comedy Central, iTunes, Comedy Central On Demand. And uh, and have a great have a great holiday. See you guys. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. Boy, they're a lot of fun, huh? Why don't you subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast, give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also, get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Julia White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet.
Oh, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice.